Hello and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Alternative London Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Means. In this episode, I sat down with a really special guest, Australian-born James Cochran, better known as Jimmy C. Now, Jimmy came into the podcast studio at the Glass House and we just started chatting. So I pressed record and this one just kind of went from there. We talk about Jimmy's journey from a legal graffiti writer to full-time artist, how he's managed to balance a successful career in the galleries while maintaining a presence on the streets and his relationship with London and becoming a dad. So here it is, episode two featuring Jimmy C. You've got these images, this beautiful artwork. Sally's like, hi, my name's Jimmy C. I'm street. I, I just hate that. It, and, you know, and, yeah. and, and every video does the same formula, you know, and it's hard. Anyway, we'll save. Probably not going to talk too much now because we might want to actually. Well, I've already pressed record. So, oh. Oh, hi, Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Okay, don't, um, put, don't put all of that in there. Um, well, actually, we were actually just talking about being uncomfortable being sort of on screen or with your own voice and things like that. Um, yeah, do you think there's something in that from being either an artist or a graffiti writer that there's that sort of expectation from the outset of anonymity? And then as soon as the scene and yourself progresses to a point where there's not so much anonymity. Does that feel like a strange kind of leap, do you think? Yeah, I, that's a, it's an interesting point, um, which talks about that relationship between the graffiti culture, which was in its origins, at least for me and my peers, a very underground and um, um, controversial but illegal, you know, kind of culture, uh, activity. So, of course, we were very, um, very cautious about our identities because it, it led to, you know, it, it could lead to serious um, implications that was basically being arrested. And, um, uh, you know, we were that we were very cautious even about um, carrying photographs on us or cameras because cameras could be confiscated by the transit police, the photos would get developed, and there were times when people were charged for what they found on those cameras. And it happened to me, so I know that by living proof. Um, so, yeah, so let's now jump 20 years later to the street art scene, fully developed, fully integrated into the into mainstream, and plus add the internet, um, social media aspect into it, add street art fans stalking the streets, documenting the culture. You, 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 it's very hard to remain um, anonymous. Um, so, yeah, so that's... Um, that is an interesting kind of tension, how to handle those two situations. And I guess it, it comes down to the individual artists, how they want to portray themselves or, and, and how they deal with that. Do you think you've got a bit more of a, a sort of freedom now where you can just sort of do what you want without that sort of threat of um, sort of prosecution? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. And the, but that comes from two things. It comes from age and maturity and evolution of my artwork or, you know, the, the artist's artwork. And then it comes with a more broader acceptance of the street art culture itself. Because there was a time when it was, if I was seen painting with a, with a spray can in my hand, I'd be abused. Mm -hmm. um, and or many phone calls would be made and the police would arrive 10 minutes later. So, um, yes, it's, it's in terms of socially, 
it's way easier um, now to paint. And actually, you know, hooking things back to East London is what I've always loved about Shoreditch is um, that it is this kind of um, open for all, um, f- free expression area. I mean, we, we can talk about that later, but that's a special case because it's not it's not the case with every area. You know, some uh, councils can be quite restrictive about what work appears on their on the walls. But Shoreditch is um, the way I describe it is like it's, it's grey grey area. It's not. You know, no one knows for sure exactly what's going on, and but and but they just let it happen, and it's good. You know, it's not doing any, um, not doing any harm or anything. Yeah, I think there's a sort of um, an aspect of Shoreditch where even where there are illegal walls, a paste up will appear, and then if it doesn't get taken down, another one will appear, and then within a week you've got a semi-legal wall space there. <laughs> so. There's, there is that sort of great area. That's pretty I, exactly that. That's it's quite a yeah. That's quite amazing how that how that it become the walls become accepted, and it, and it is through yeah. And it originally started through a, an illegal intervention, and then it it builds up from there because it looks so familiar and authorized. You think okay, that must have been done legally, you know. Then it, then for then on, it's the the um, the taboo is broken, and it's like it's 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 free for all. Yeah. Um, you've been a fixture, really, of this area nonstop for the last sort of 10, 12 years, really, haven't you? And um, despite the fact that you split your time between here and Paris, that you travel a lot, um, that you spend sort of little chunks of time back in Australia, you've really had a presence on the streets here nonstop for that amount of time, haven't you? Um, what sort of brought you here in the first place? I I was a um, practicing artist in, in Australia. I my my origins were uh, were were as a graffiti artist, uh, painting along the train lines, and that kind of you know as my skill with the spray can developed, that led to kind of more mural uh, work and commissioned opportunities. And I eventually went you know ended up going to art school and became interested in more traditional um, painting and. You know, by the, I was I ended up with a sort of a style that would, that mixed the two, a kind of classic figurative painting with graffiti, sort of the the technique I was using of, of working with the drips, and I, I guess I had just been, you know, I was at a phase in Australia working in the studio. I'd had some really good gallery success in Melbourne, and you know, and good recognition with my work. I was actually kind of yeah, I'd reached the sort of the point where it goes, oh wow, I'm living my dream. I'm working full time in a studio, painting and managing to, to survive because my work is selling. You know, so. So I was just riding that wave for a couple of years. But then, you know, then it sort of started just to bottom out, you know, and I, and I felt like I sort of was re- starting to get to a, into a cycle of, of routine or something. And it was, and I needed something to, you know, shake it up a bit. So, and I, in, in that time, I was always in contact with Europe. I had lived in Paris and had an exhibition in Paris in 2006. And I was always, you know, doing a trip at least once a year, just keeping in contact. And I, yeah, during one of my trips to London, I I did stumble into the um, into the East End. Actually, I think I was actually invited to participate in a, in a group exhibition in, in Brick Lane. And so that that forced me to come into the area because before I wouldn't, when I would visit London, I didn't really come here to this part of London. And then, and then yeah, and, it, and, it, and I was straight away just, it struck me. It was like how to describe it, sort of the energy, the electrical energy, the colour, the the variety of 
international or visitors that I could see were coming here to paint and add, you know, do something. There was a very good vibe and, and creative energy going on. And that, I said, wow, um, that's worth, well, I said, I think I need to be a part of that. And so, yeah, and, and at the time in Australia, I had I had nothing to, to lose. I had no real attachments, you know. I was, I did not have any relationship attachments. I didn't have any family attachments. I, yeah, it was a time where I could do it. I could take that risk. Okay, let, let's give it a go. And so I, I moved to London and... Um, it wasn't. It wasn't all that. It wasn't so simple. I can. I'll explain. I mean, I almost. I almost gave up. I after like six months. I said, "No, this is this. I can't. I hate really? the weather here. I. I. It's so much easier in Australia. The space. Look what I have to pay for. That the rent have used this tiny space. I. And I said, "No, actually, maybe I can be more productive in Australia." And I went back. But then I came back again. Yeah, I mean, there is that balance, isn't it? I mean. Moving from somewhere like Australia, you, you probably could have an easier life to some extent, but you're not going to get the same reach with your artwork as you're going to get sitting in the middle of London or Paris. Yeah. So so there's that kind of um, trade-off, isn't there? Exactly. And that's why you do it. And I think that's why anyone is in London. I think that's why someone's yeah. moved from... Uh, the Isle of Wight. From the Isle of Wight <laughs> to London, from why someone's moved from Sheffield to London, why someone's moved from Kent to London, wherever... They know they're, yeah, they're taking a risk and they're they're paying a lot of money to live in a pretty small space and all that. But at the same time, yeah, they have access to a lot of um, activities and and opportunities and you know and it's kind of like New York. People, if they're, they're there for a reason, often to, to kind of to chase a dream. Yeah. Um, so 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 then so you meet you know everyone you meet is kind of a like-minded person as well. Well, it's, you know, the city is diverse. It has all sorts of people. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so let's just say I'm a little bit biased in the East End because it is a creative community. That, that's, I think that's, that is a fact. And um, it's certainly become your home as well in a lot of ways. I know you do split your time, but it's something that um, in, in the time I've known you, you've always wanted to represent the people of the East End in a lot of times in your murals. You've done a lot yeah. of really kind of sentimental work towards yeah. the East End and it and just through that lens it kind of shows that you do care about it and you and you want to um you want to understand it more as well yes um I, I think that that also comes from my background in in community arts in Australia mm-hmm. I, I literally did that for 10 years and um, that that was my kind of paid work before I was making a living off my actual paintings I balanced my time with you know um, running graffiti workshops uh, working with adolescents, working with kids not fitting into the school system, um, community groups, centre, community centres all over the um, the regional areas of Australia and the city areas. So yeah, I definitely had that background of kind of real community engagement and working with real people or coming out doing designs that were relevant to the community. Then of course. I was concerned about what was happening in the East End with, with the mass um, shifts and gentrification process and people becoming even more marginalised than ever. So sometimes some of these people appeared into my work to document what was happening to them before they were gone and some of them have now passed on and stuff. And, yeah, and I guess that's one of the good things about art and street art is that it can hopefully kind of document um, uh, uh, a period or a time. 
Yeah, I think it's not just the people that go as well. It's the it's the buildings themselves that go. I think your first piece that you did was on Bacon Street, wasn't it? And I yeah. was living on Brick Lane. I think I, I was walking past one day and um, and I saw this new piece and I was like, whoa, this guy's good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I think I got in touch. I was like, you're really good, mate, or something. And, uh, and, and yeah, I've sort of been mate since then. But um, I'd never seen anything like it at the time. Yeah, it, it's weird, actually. Just quickly on that note, if you do see something in this street art world or gem in the world at large that you haven't really seen before, within a year or two, you're going to see someone else doing it, generally <laughs> speaking. But no one's really bitten your style, have they? No, no except there, there is one guy. There, but he's, he's, I think he's, he's in some part of Russia. Um, okay. he, he's, or he's not sure if it's Russia or it's one of the bordering Russian countries. But, yeah, at first when I saw it, it looked like he was... It was exact, like he'd copy me. He even does, like, first of all, it was the, the, the dots, but it was actually then he started doing the drip, dripping dots. I went, whoa, that's getting a bit close to home now. You know, but he's actually, he's 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 good. He's evolved and his, his stuff is getting good. Um, and, and But I can't quite tell if he... At first, I thought, yeah, that's a straight-out copy. It's hard to know. Maybe you know that, that you know that's what they were. You know, we used to always say about graffiti tags. You, you think you come up with some original tag, but and then of course, someone on the other side of the world is, is writing the same tag. You know, so you can't. Um, there is a, is a possibility that he did. He, he did come up with it himself. This guy, but I, I'm not sure. But the first time it started appearing, yeah, people were sending me the you know like images. Go, oh, look at this, this guy's. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, just going back to that, what you're saying, yeah, the the Bacon Street piece around 2010 or something was uh, technically it was about my third second or third piece in the area my first piece ever was actually on Chan Street right there and we, we went, we're not far from Chan Street running off um, Red Church Red Church and Bethnal Green Road and I, I like that that even when I look back at the, the name Chan Street it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like say I took a chance on Chan Street you know and, and it was illegal actually it was well as illegal as, it, as things can be in shortage you know but it was yeah it was unauthorised and I remember I was pretty kind of nervous and painting it like an illegal piece it was a small little head with buildings coming out I um, do remember that you yeah might, yeah there was I did a couple in the stairwells as you well you did but, yeah but they were yeah but the first one I did was this little floating head with just buildings coming out of his head yep um, and that was dropped like a, that was when I was coming to terms with, can I paint this stuff like illegally? Because those paintings weren't designed to be painted illegally. They were designed to be painted on canvas. And, you know, uh, so that, that was another new element for me was actually that re-engaging with the street. That's why it was actually good for me in the end, because it reinvigorated it with a whole new energy and that kind of urgency. And actually that's how I paint still. To this day, even when I'm doing illegal work, I paint. I have that kind of urgency about it, as though I'm painting it um, illegally. Yeah, you can feel that sort of energy within it. I think. Just going back to you saying that people moved to New York or London, whatever, to sort of live the dream. Was it always your dream to be an artist? Not really. I mean, it it just became the it became the obvious um, choice uh, because. Yeah, that's the funny thing. I always think about when we were graffiti kids. If someone had said to me. Then, as a 16-year-old, do you know that in 20 years you'll be making a living from painting stuff with a spray can? I, I would have laughed. Go, you know, oh, what, what, really? Or it would, have, it would have been just a concept a bit that would have kind of been just a bit too much. You know? <laughs> um, so from doing the kind of mural commissions and then well, I, what did it is I had to work in a job that I didn't want to do in order to know more what I wanted to do. And so I, after school... I didn't quite get into a university course that I wanted to get into, which, funnily enough, was psychology. 
and I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't in the end. And a friend offered me a job in a, in a, in a car company job. It was actually Mercedes-Benz. Um, very, very standard company job, like hierarchy, you know, and I was kind of right down the bottom. And I saw the pecking order straight. I saw how the mechanics and everyone, they were scared of the boss or they would kiss ass to the boss. And I saw the sales rep and I, and I understood the system. That all you had to do was play the game, kiss ass, and you would move up that hierarchy. And in within 10, 20 years, you could almost be the, you know, one of the directors or a boss. And I couldn't conform to that. Like, and, you know, I used to be very friendly to the boss and like, just go, oh, hi, how are you going? How was your weekend? And, and then, you know, and it would make him feel very uncomfortable and very awkward. I go, um, uh, yeah, can you just clean up that corner over there, please? And anyway, when I was in that job, cleaning cars, delivering cars and stuff, I was, yeah, I was just thinking about all the things that I could be creating. And so then I, and then I decided, I said, well, okay, I need to go to art school to, you know, or to, or to try to have some kind of direction. And then that was the beginning for me. But what that job did is it gave me a way to um, value my time because I'd been doing that clocking in with a card at 8.30 in the morning, clocking out. So, you know, that's sort of, I've kind of carried that on to how I work now. I'm, I'm a pretty regular worker in, in the studio. I'm sort of like a nine to five worker. And I think it's because of having that kind of, yeah, there's that, that experience in that. Yeah. And, and plus, and I'm doing, and I value my time because I'm doing something, I know I'm doing something that I wanted, I want to do. I go, wow, that's, that's really special. And, I suppose now as well you can um, you can quantify your work a little bit more, can't you? You can say, right, if I spend this amount of time on a canvas this size, it's going to generate me this much income, which I can live for this long on. So you've got, it's quantifiable now, isn't it, on your time? But yeah. also, yeah. I think there's always this kind of myth of creative people. There's a bit of like a, a lifestyle that's very relaxed. But I think anyone that I know that has become a full-time painter or a full-time creative... The work ethic is um, always there. There's always like a drive and a yeah. and a um, and a, a set structure. I think as well. Yeah. No. I think you hear it over and over again from successful artists who, who they talk about that. And and there's a I still refer back to a quote from. I'm pretty sure it's from Picasso, but he, you know he said defining the success of an artist is five percent talent, ten percent luck, and so 85%, <laughs> um, 85% work, yeah. hard work. Um, yeah. And, and I told, and that sounds about right to me. That's mm-hmm. about how it works for me. Um, and that's another, and that's another thing. People say, oh, wow, I wish I was talented. You're so talented. And, and you see, you think, okay, if you've got a bit of talent, then you just sit back and relax yeah. and it's yeah. just going to all go happen. There's no way. No. There's so much work and there's so much rejection and there's so much doubt and there's so much failure. And it's, it's as much, it's character as much as it's, it's getting up again as much as it is, um, you know, make, making the successful times, it's about the, yeah, and, and I'm sure every artist goes through it. Then there's, then, then there's the luck aspect and, um, you know, you, you, it, when you work, then you sort of, you can create your own luck. You start creating your own yeah. opportunities. You put yourself in those positions, don't you, where people are going to see you or something's going to happen. You, yes. You know, if you're... Yes, which links back to what we were saying, that then you move to a city like London and New York and try, you know, you work hard and then, yes, you probably are going to get some opportunities will arise. Yeah, yeah, that definitely resonates. Um, You've managed to really straddle the commercial aspect of your work and the sort of street aspect of your work. You know, like you were saying earlier, if someone would have said to you that you'll be doing this for a living 20 years ago, you would have laughed at them. If someone would have said to you 20 years ago, you'll be doing commissions for the royal family, 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The Olympics or stuff like that. You know, these are big things. Yeah. And they're big things in the sense of a painter. No painter would ever turn down that kind of work, I don't think, because they're big jobs. You know, they're the dream jobs. Yeah. But being from that graffiti background, it's something that you always have to, I suppose, maybe not so much these days, um, but it's something that you have to straddle a little bit more carefully. But I think you've always done that and you've always done that quite well, haven't you? Yep, yep, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And this is a um, uh, in complex ground. And once again, it sort of comes back to individual choice, how each artist deals with it and what it, what it means for them to be successful and, you know, what is one opportunity for one artist might not be such a great opportunity for another, but... But yeah, that, but yeah, that that's that's the, that it is tricky um, because yeah, there's another thing too. When you start become more um, recognised, or you might use the word successful, you, you start getting more opportunities. But you're getting also more opportunities that you're getting asked to do things that you norm, you wouldn't normally do. Sometimes that's good; it's exciting. It might take you into a new interesting project. But other times, it takes you into grounds where you're a little bit uncomfortable. Where it feels a little bit too commercial, or mm-hmm. or what is the you know? So so then you just got to you know get down to what is what does this company or this brand um, represent? You know, and if you just have to be if you're aligned with their ethics, then it's probably it's you know it's a good job to do. But if it feels uncomfortable, like you go, this they're just basically using my art to sell blatantly sell a product that I don't really even align myself with, then I'm, no, I don't, I don't take those jobs anymore. And, and I've learned by mistakes too. I've made, you know, I've taken a few jobs that I've regretted afterwards, but, but this is all part of the, um, you know, learning process Yeah, for an artist. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I don't begrudge anyone that, um, makes a living from being a painter because that's not an easy thing to do. So yeah. anyone that can do that is, um, you're always going to be, having those kind of internal battles and sometimes you don't get it right sometimes you do but you've got to um you've got to take those risks haven't you and and also as yeah. well i think part of the risk is is um being brave enough to play the long game as well isn't it to have the confidence in your work and think okay well this thing might not work out for me but something else will come up yep yeah 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 definitely there's definitely that and i th- i'm kind of in that reaching that point now where uh, i Feel I, I'm I'm in a time where I need to um, try. I'm, well, I am trying some new new things in my studio, but but this is work that won't see the light of day for a while. You know, I need to kind of I need to do, just work on it, and it might not work. You know, but um, but it's and it's very it's personal work and stuff, so it's different, a little bit different from some of my other work. Um, so yeah, and that's the same thing. But then at the same time, I'm getting asked to do my standard commissions or like last, I got the last portrait commission I did was for an auntie of someone who passed away recently in Ireland. And, you know, so that's, so you get asked to, you know, when you get asked to do a commission, it's uh, like a, especially a portrait commission. This, you know, this is somebody's uh, aunt, whatever. And it's, I I try my best, you know, to represent that person the best way and honour that person, you know, and I treat it very seriously as a job. Mm. And yeah, I, I finished that portrait and the client is very happy with it. Um, but that, that, that's, that's kind of what you call, my, that's my standard. That's a work, a work you know, um, yeah. a piece. And then when I, if I have time, I will try some work, my personal work as well on the side. Yeah, of course. Um, just getting back to your street work. So it was the 10th anniversary of the Whitby Street piece so you've done a really nice sort of interactive animation of that mm. also just a few weeks ago you finished a 
probably one of the largest murals you've done in London I of have. your daughter and yeah. the spring the spring mural. Yes. And you've sort of over the years you've you've always come back to the sort of drip style, but you have done other things. There's the um, sort of stencil piece on Whitby Street as well, the London riots pieces as well. There has been like deviation from the style. Yeah. At certain times, and they've always gone down well, but then it's always sort of come back to the the base, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I it's I've the dot drip dripping style is kind of my signature style, and it normally I use that to. I still find it the most effective way to, you know, execute whatever I'm trying to put across in terms of colour and energy. And then there were, yes, various variations of that, of the of the circles and the sphere motifs. Just recently I've been playing with, I flipped the spheres to, to ellipses. Um, so just, you know, these are just small little variations in a more design kind of sense. And yeah, you know, they played a few games. I even played a few, you know, like there was the sculptural elements. I was making little oh, br- yeah. brick installations and dropping them in the middle of Brick Lane mm. and went straight in alleyways. And there which, was also the piece that you did at Red Market a few years ago, where um, in the cafe you gave people, you gave the cafe um, the three D glasses, like the old school uh, blue and red ones, yeah, so that people could go in and request them, come out and look at the piece yep. in the three D glasses. Yes. yes. That was pretty and cool. That was cool. And at the time, it, I, it, it, it seemed original. It, I mean, it kind of was it original. Was. It was. And it, because now there's another guy from um, Greece who's um, mastered the um, the 3D effect. Um, but I, I, yes, I did this before he was doing you know, any work. Um, so it was the same. It was the same principle that I was I was trying to do. Uh, and but he 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 mastered it. I, I was I was grappling with it and and just managed to you know pull it off with, with a struggle i got the spheres to kind of vibrate in a in a 3d way and that could be viewed with the glasses but yeah yeah that was nice having a little interactive element and people could just grab, get the glasses and and check that out so yeah there's been a you know a few things but um and then yeah this this the whitby street piece which is kind of a miracle in itself that it's lasted 10 years but let's just say that it's had a little bit of help on its way like it's it has been tagged at times yeah and i and i've fixed it a couple of times you know a few times over the years so it hasn't it's not like I've, it's just you know sat there immaculately for that long it, it no, but that's another aspect as well because th- that's something that's changed within the scene as well there's been um you know, there's there's always that FML nature, but then as we've moved into sort of, I don't know, maybe 2013, 2014, the walls around the area did start, start to get a little bit more structure. There were certain sort of people that um, were the permission getters for each particular place. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything particularly wrong with, I suppose, protecting your assets maybe, is there? Or just sort of making sure that you're still visible. Yeah, not no, not really. And and people and different artists have different takes um, and how they deal with their work and stuff like that. But also, also like I, I talked before about how I said my work was made originally to be on canvas, and it yeah, that my works were were made to be for me. They were they were very because they're very detailed. They were made to. Um, last in a way um and which was always always part of my issue of of uh, having being being able to paint quickly on the street which is actually why i ended up creating the heart 
um, um, icon or logo sort of thing. Which is which is now like the meeting point at London Bridge Station, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so then, really embedded into Which, yeah, started culture, off as an illegal it? heart on Whitby Street, actually, just yeah. dripping down a wall. And then, yes, and years, years later, now it's a, an official... Um, a heart in in the new London Bridge station, no. um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. But yeah, so anyway, that was my solution to you know almost like a tag, putting out something quickly up on the street that was still um, would be known. We, people could associate it with me as a through the kind of signature um, technique. So that Whitby Street one, for example, you know, to me, I painted it and it, it was it was it was a painting um, that I was happy with and it was great. It's it's quite. I'm very happy to say that ten years later, I'm still happy with it. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, to me, the everything's fine. The composition, the um, what it's, you know, the, the image itself. Um, other artists have different um, approaches. Um, they I, and I'm quite amazed at how quickly they repaint their own walls. And I'm not so. Ah, oh, you know, it depends. Yeah, I, I, actually, the, I mean. There was that little car park off Brick Lane. What, what, what do you call that? Star, the Star Yard? The Star Yard, yeah. Yeah, that used to be my kind of little playground. You know, that's where I would I would repaint over my stuff over and over again because that was when I was just, that was like a little outdoor experimental studio for me where I just wanted to test stuff. Mm-hmm. It has um, been for a few people over the years, actually. I've seen people like Envol and um, Fanakapan really develop their style in, yeah. that little, in that little yard. Yes, um, yes, yeah. yes, it was. Yeah, it was a good little play, playground. How do you feel about that? The amount of, um, not necessarily the amount of ads, but the amount of space that was sort of designated for street art. Because there are some companies out there that do it and they do it really well and they have a respect for the walls that are kind of there as street art walls. But so many of these walls are getting turned into billboards now. How do you think about that sort of transition? Yeah, that, uh, yeah that's, that's something that's happened in, in, in the last 10 years of, of, of living here. Of seeing that become more um, prominent, wow, it, it's a tricky one. Once again, it, it, I mean, when I see those guys painting those things, I, I just I, I have a two I have mixed opinions about it. First of all, first of all, I go, I go wow, how could you? Um, I, I go, that's so strange, like reproducing a, a photograph or an ad so perfectly, and I almost go, why don't you? Why don't you just? Why don't they print it or like? You know, now that they've got these, it's exact. The result is almost the same. And then, then my second thing is, I said, okay, these—that's like a—that they're getting paid to do a job, and it's exactly. and it's not that. Um, it's that's it's there could be worse jobs. They're it's getting like, paid to be painters. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I said that's kind of you know, and it looks like that they're enjoying it, they're having fun, and so you know, so there's that aspect too. So so basically, if there is a industry and um, there to be taken, then it's someone's going to take it, aren't they? Yep. Um, it's serving its purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, but it's very, it is interesting how, how, how it came back because it, it makes me think how that was a an art form or a tradition many, many years ago, like in, I think, of, of India, with that's how film posters were produced on a huge scale. You know, they were hand-painted before there was the printing in- industry and it's almost like this return to that, you know, these hand-painted kind of huge sort of advertisements. Um, and it, yeah, it's 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 fascinating, but I um, I, I don't I'm not, I don't know the 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 future of it. If they you know these um, companies that are paying for these things to be done are going to keep, uh, I wonder if they if they're kind of using the hype or popularity street art culture to try to you know try to tap into that a little bit as well, or you know if they're purely just looking for a way to you know uh, produce their um, ads on a, on a large scale. So it will be interesting to see, you know, in what in, if that continues, that kind of that need or 
or if they'll find other. Like I said, I I thought printing on fabric, or you know, I thought that was just as effective, but but who knows? But well, I don't know what the printing costs are. So maybe you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, at least it doesn't go into a landfill afterwards, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. The uh, let's just hope. The, um, let's just hope the aerosol paint is environmentally friendly. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Okay, yeah. That's something that everyone ignores, really, isn't it? That's um, something that we need to do better at, really, isn't it? If we, it is. Paint and people like myself that do workshops. We need to yeah. really. It's something that I'm always kind of okay, well, semi conscious of. You know, well, look for your workshops. You use acrylic based paint. Yeah, that is environmentally friendly. So you, yeah. you're doing fine there. But, um, and there is now there is almost just as much acrylic paint available in the paint stores. It is more expensive, but I don't think all the artists have quite, um, you know, assimilated it yet into their practice. The street art scene at the minute as well, um, we talk about it evolving and moving. I remember once you sent to me years ago, you know, even though we see this stuff every day, we sort of, you know, we're well aware of what's going on in the sort of global scene. For some people they'll come into somewhere like Shoreditch or maybe Bushwick or somewhere and they'll see this stuff for the first time and they'll be like, wow, this is amazing. And for them, it's fresh and it's new. Do you still still think there's a lot of longevity left in the scene or do you think it's sort of had its best days? Because I can't really tell. Oh, that's, that's a really good question as well. Um, and you know what's funny is when I first moved to London, um, say around 2010, I crossed paths with the artist, the old school graffiti artist, Partuism, um, Keith Hopperwell, and who was, you know, he's had his history in graffiti and he's had his um, play in the street art culture as well and, you know, done things and had success in that in that area as well. And, yeah, and he was, I met him when he was on a slightly, um, what's the word, um, disillusioned kind of mood going, you know, uh, it's it's street art's dead, man. It's, you, you, it's, it's street art scene's dead, it's over. You've, you've come, you know, you've come too late, man. I'm getting out of here, like yeah, sort of. A, and, um, and so it, it's all, it's kind of all perspective. And then yeah. at the same time, I go to someone else, and they say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's only just beginning. Um, so no, so so it, it is, it's kind of perspective. But I do believe that I can. This is what I think is is you can say is is kind of correct, is that there was a true blossoming and evolution of the street art movement from 1998 to 2008. You can put it down to a 10-year period. I think that is a year of of new experimentation and development where yeah. everything was exciting mm-hmm. and new. This was, okay, this was the introduction of Banksy. It was the introduction of, you know, of um, Shepard Fairey. It, like, it was like Tristan Manco bringing out street logos. And stuff like that. So these books where you would see for the first time a global street art movement rather than a global yeah. sort of graph scene. Yes, no, they started to connect the dots with these, but it, yet everything was different and playful and experimental, and everything was new. Like um, so that, that you know, and it was it was very exciting. Um, you know, wow, now what people are you know putting little sculptures onto the walls and all this kind of stuff. What people are etching into the walls? People, what's the, what people wall making stuff? You know, or sculptures like uh, Mark Jenkins? What is this? You know, following po- a la post Barry McGee kind of tradition, which you know he he was a, he's kind of a bridging point, I guess, between graffiti and that kind of street art um, experiment experimental um, uh, aspect. So there's that period, and then what they say is that from to that afterwards that period it became formalized institutionalized it became it became it turned into it made the transformation into muralism yeah because that that wasn't an aspect of it before these kind of really 
commissioned all these. Uh, fe- fe- there was no festivals either. Uh, well, you know, apart, I'm not sure if the Cannes Festival that Banksy did was sort of the first one. I'm not sure, but probably. Yeah, um, but then that led to a whole new you know, thing with these festivals, and then it became all about these formed these like large walls, and that and that and that 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 led to a new development of the culture. Yeah, and it also and funnily enough, it led to return to. Uh, the 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 return to the paintbrush, in, in on for muralism. Yeah. You see, that was a little bit almost looked down upon as well. Oh, that's 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 outdated. That's like seventies mural community murals, or it's like nineteen thirties Mexican kind of uh, muralism. You know. But then it, it made a strong return the paintbrush as well. Yeah, for sure. On that note, who are your favourite sort of um, muralist, street artist, and like at the moment? Yeah, it's uh, oh, there's there, there's many I like. It, it's funny when when I get when I have to think of them. Sometimes I can't think of the names because because they're, they're there. I'm following them on the on the on on Instagram or whatever, and they yeah. come up and I go, wow, yeah, you know, that's that's great. Okay, 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 okay yes, okay, Inti, great, great, amazing mm-hmm. stuff. Of course, um, Azi, whatever, how do you pronounce his name? Ariz, Ariz, yeah, yeah, blah blah blah. You know, he's always been doing great stuff because because these these stuff these are singular uh, the artists that really do their own you know they really do their own thing they're yeah. very tuned into their own sensibility it doesn't and yet they you know they produce beautiful work that that somehow suddenly appears completely relevant and contemporary but they're completely just doing their own thing and, that, and so that's you know you just got a I've got so much admiration for that yeah people um, like Aries and uh, Etam crew and people like that their, their style got so developed into like this sort of almost perfection and now it's kind of gone totally loose and it's like something totally different now and it's so brave that they're doing stuff that's not this sort of technical brilliance but it's just amazing artwork like you haven't really seen before yeah but then on the other side of the spectrum i think uh people for me like finton mcgee at the minute has just Mm. gone like so painterly with this new style that is absolutely phenomenal yeah the stuff that you're seeing is there is still fresh new stuff coming out yeah, yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah, that, and that's another thing too, you know, you're on the Instagram feed. And, my, uh, oh, my God, like, murals, they've almost become, they've become too good. And, like, <laughs> a lot of their big, it's become too professional and too perfect. Like, you can see it just like, you can almost imagine it there on Photoshop, them just working this thing to perfection. And then, and then they know how to now, they've got the means to put that onto the wall, exactly like this beautiful the design. So it's... It's there's some mind blowing stuff out there, but it's almost like yeah, it's sort of, it's it's strange. It's almost yeah. like too, it's almost too perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think these we love these ones with these little personal personal glitches yeah. of or um or, you know this individual kind of naive style, you know. And then there's just ones that just keep you know following their own vision and and connection, commitment to social cause, like Faith 47, for example, yeah. you know, just re- remain honest to their path and just keep doing things. And there's there's a lot there's a lot out there that, um, that I, I really admire. Yeah. I think maybe as well, from your point of view, do you think timing was something really important because you kind of did get in there before the gold rush, didn't you? You got in there with a really definite style. Yeah. You're jo- one of the, not the, you know, you were one of the first people there amongst people like Connor Harrington, who started to, um, in London anyway, have this really painterly style done with spray cans 
Um, mm. Before that, it was a lot of character-based stuff, a lot of stencils, those kind of things. But you're one of the first kind of, in this area anyway, really painterly artists uh, on the streets. So do you think that was, the timing of it was really important as well? And that's not to take away from like your talent or like no, your, no, your no, skill or no, what no, you do. No. But yeah, do you think that was a factor in it? No, it was, it was. And like I said, I, I just sneaked in. But you're in, are you, going back to that conversation with, with partuism, I, I, was, I, was I was probably a little bit late. And I, and like as I said, I, 1998 to 2008, I got here 2010. So it would have been even better if I got, if I, if yeah, I got yeah. here 2008. <laughs> I would have loved to have just caught that, you know. Then yeah. maybe I probably might have been invited into, into the can to mm-hmm. paint in Waterloo Tunnel, you know, yeah. if I just, you know, that's what I mean. That was, that's what I mean. That's why it was a crucial point that up to 1990, 2008. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, but I did. I, it was an, enough that there was still the freshness, the energy, the excitement around and, and yeah, and and my, my work did offer a new um, approach and a more painterly approach and and be, because I was very conscious of that in it's how those paintings were made because I'd had the tradi- the experience of learning and painting with oil paint for many years and I loved the um, the texture and stuff of, with oil paint and I always had issues with the flatness of spray paint and you know it's, it, 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 no matter what you do it looks so flat you know like stencils and stuff and mm-hmm. so that was that was the closest these building these drips it was the closest thing I could get to creating a little bit of texture with the paint uh, mm-hmm. some kind of you know more of a physicality to it so so yeah that's that's probably one of the elements that stood out yeah this area as well like we said earlier well we're always banging on about it aren't we but the, the amount of change this area has seen over the last few years is phenomenal and the development these days is um is on steroids and it kind of feels like there's nothing anyone can do about it the other week when um the truman brewery shopping mall complex um went to the planning decision i think it was about seven thousand eight hundred people wrote letters in opposition but 80 wrote letters in support and it went ahead so the sort of feeling of sort of despair at it all and the sort of juggernaut of these city buildings that are coming in it is something that feels like it's hanging over the area a lot doesn't it it feels like there's a lot of good stuff happening but it feels like it's on a really finite time what what do you sort of feel about the the area now do you still think that it's as relevant as it was before do you still think that there's a lot of sort of hope for the future what's your kind of thoughts on it yeah, definitely. That's it's a tricky one, isn't it? The whole um, the argument for the pros and cons of of gentrification. You know, you know, some will say it's inevitable. Some will say it's progress. And yes, it is progress. But yeah, there is a way to do it. You know, there should be a way to do it in a more in a more respectful way of culture and communities that establish themselves there. So, as you mentioned, despite seven thousand signatures, it's um the money money speaks. In this town, it's very sad, and as it does in many other cities, and and yeah, it's almost yeah, it's like non-negotiable, really, isn't it? The the, the investors, the planners have have their, have their vision, and so yeah, already so many artists and creative types have been forced out, and galleries and creative spaces have been shut down. I mean, there's the street behind us, uh, Redshirt Street, is a perfect example of that. And, and you know, I've got such fond memories when you know when I moved here all those years ago. Um, almost seventy percent of that street was um, galleries or creative spaces, and you know, can you remember when they had this thing called the first? Was it first Thursday or last Thursday mm-hmm. of every month? Yeah, yeah. And the, all the exhibitions would be tied, openings would be tied together, and Redshirt Street was like it was one big street party at that time of the month. Every single gallery was 
there was an exhibit, an opening, and you were it was perfectly accepted to walk with your glass of wine from gallery to gallery. So you know, you know that 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 was amazing. It was a buzz of new activity and stuff. And now that street, I think there's, I think there's two galleries hanging on for dear life, uh, and and the rest is complete high class boutique stores. Um, I can't remember the names of some of them, but but, but brands you'd see are probably on Bond Street yeah. or um, at least in Covent Gardens. So the danger and the sadness is that, yeah, is it, lo- it the, uh, uh, losing its uh, identity and becoming um, assimilated into a, sh- a kind of a mall, um, like a, you know, a, a Covent Gardens type kind of um, area. So then, so, so where do the artists go? What happens? Well, you know, they're already gone. They're already been forced out. They're going out the, the further areas. So, yeah, it's, but yet, but yeah, but, but shortage is, yeah, it's interesting because the street art is still present, yeah. you know. It's like this kind of battleground between new perfect developments and the, the raw, gritty energy is, you know, it's the it's perfect tension battleground between the two right now, isn't it? It is, and it feels like it's been that way for a long time. And I suppose post-pandemic as well, it feels like there is a little bit of hope now that um, a lot of the new office space being built won't be taken up by the people it was actually sort of intended for. Maybe, I don't know, things, things will change. It feels like there's a little sort of glimmer of hope. And also with the community still there and still vocal, you know, I was talking to Chrissy from the East End Trades Guild, um, on one of the other podcasts and she was talking about, you know, we talk about money power, we talk about developer power, but it's really important to remember that there is in this area people power and that and that kind of counts for a lot. So a lot of murals around here, but also for you, I suppose, does this come from a sort of graph mindset as well that you still have this kind of all city mentality? The fact that you've got a lot of works around, like the South Bank, you've got oh, works geez. in like Brixton, you've got works around other parts of London. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, funny. Well, when you say all, I don't even consider myself all city, as in like in the graffiti sense, of the word all city. Yeah, because um, that uh, they're the ones, they're the ones that I was talking about who always just keep going and just constantly, like they're painting walls, like they're tagging, like and like to me, Mister Sens. is, is uh, he is a um, comes from a graffiti background and he tr- crossed over into the street art culture. Um, for those that, that don't know, paints uh, portraits mainly, sort of abstract, semi-portraits, often female portraits. With a, you know, it's definitely a graffiti sensibility about them. But to me, he's he's got that all city approach. He paints like a graffiti artist. You know, he just got like um, you know a lot of energy, and 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 I, I can't do that for some reason. I, I just yeah, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, yeah. If, if you're inspired, and you know, you. you, you to do it, but especially how he always just paints the, the the same wall and goes back and does something new. I mean, yeah, that's that, I, that's great. I, I wish I could do that, but and there I am with my Whitby Street. That's the same one. Yeah, I did that ten years ago. Look, it's still there. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's kind but, of a one-off, though. Really, isn't no, it? No, no, like, that's a one-off. Your but, work does change a lot. But going back to the yes, no, I have. I've yeah, no, I've, I've, I'm happy to have been gone into other areas. You know, I've done stuff in Brixton. Yesterday, I was, I was bloody out in Surbiton, of all places, wow. Kingston Thames painting a wall. Um, and then and then South Bank, yeah. And that, that, they, they came up as opportunities and, and, and I took them. And they're, they're, yeah, they're very good op- opportunities. I'm not doing any more work there. It's finished that little, um, what do you call it, little, you know, time of, uh, I guess, opp- opportunity uh, that I had to paint there, those spots. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's very, it's interesting having worked there. That's 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 strange because like Shoreditch is so yeah, like that that gritty and the raw energy. But tourist groups still come here. But South Bank and Bankside, it's so pristine and 
clean and, you know, uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of strange having works there. You mentioned Brixton. I almost forgot to mention David Bowie. Uh, Do you even want to talk about that? Or have you just yeah. like spent your whole life talking about that since mm. like 2016? Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to if you don't I did, want no, to. No, I did. But I mean, no, it's when we talked about opportunities, you, you get asked to do And things. timing. And yeah, and timing. Yeah, that was all with that. But like, um, yeah, the the Bowie mural is still there. Um, well, it's obviously it's protected. So yeah, it's, um, it's listed, isn't it? It is it, it listed as well. Yeah, fuck me. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, but that's all just yeah, timing and luck again, luck and just being in the you know a wall that was sitting there silently, um, discreetly doing its own thing for a few local Brixton community just happened to be become a meeting point and that pe- a place that people needed straight away to find mm. to go to to pay tribute uh, you know after the after after, after Billy passed and that so it was just it was there and 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 it just yeah it just it just it just went from there but yeah that we were talking about before about you know then I did suddenly my name was on the radar a lot more than obviously it would have been so that's then I was getting a lot of um um, jobs and community and that, that was when I was sort of saying then I was getting asked to do things that were subtly you know you really had to weigh it up okay? this is like you know and you could tell they were employing me be, purely because of that that they would because of what the um, exposure or um, press I'd had from that so that you know and so that's where it became problematic for me and they were, they were just like blatant uh, these agencies were they weren't scared to admit that. They were, even when I saw them in interviews with the media, they'd say, "Oh, we, you know, well, we, the, he he did the Bowie one, so well, we wanted a piece of that." And yeah. you know, they're straight out. They, you know, they're piggybacking off that kind of um, whatever that kind of thing. So that 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 started making me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, that's when I had to start being, you know, very kind of selective and you know, work with people that really, you know, I thought it was a genuine exchange. Yeah. Of, of whatever. Yeah. Do you ideas. want me as an artist or yeah. do you just want to jump off the back of the success of one of my paintings? Yes. Yes. And the difference, isn't that? It, it is. And that was happening for a while, but it's, 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 to, it's really calmed down now. It really has. I don't, I don't get anything, anything more about the, the Bowie mural. It's really, it really has calmed down. So. Yeah. Now it's just living its Bowie life, isn't it? A lot of your work's got kind of, um, some sentimental attachment as well. Something like the, I don't know, the Joe's kid piece on Fashion Street, yeah, which is like, um, was on the side of a, a, a cafe, the piece that you did just outside your studio on Mare Street as well. Like you do have like a, a sentimentality to your work. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, well, once it might link back to what I said with the community arts background, but th- both those examples that you cite, they're, p- they're paintings of real people with real stories mm. relevant re- relevant to the area of where I've painted it. So, And to me, yeah, they're, they're my... I, I like those works the best. Yeah, so do I as a tour guide. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I mean, no, it's just, it's just a lot nicer when you can actually tell a real story and, yeah, and, sure. and if it's a portrait, it's a real person with a real story that's connected to the area where you've painted them. But for those portraits, because I'd met both of those people as well, then you, you were sort of, you know, you put, there's more at stake, you put more into it when you actually had some kind of engagement with the actual subject as well. Yeah. Do you think um, outside of painting or, or maybe part of your whole process as general, do you think being a dad has changed your your outlook on life do you think it's changed you in some ways yes yeah for sure for sure I mean I remember one of my friends when I was 
you know, before as preparing for fatherhood, one, one of my friends was, you know, said to me, goes, yeah, you, it, you'll, you'll change. It, it, kids change you, you know, and, and, and you can't, yeah, you, it's true. You can't explain it to someone who hasn't, you know, who doesn't have children. It, 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 it it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like you biologically change. You're kind of, you know, just like your DNA start tweaks into something else slightly. Um, yeah, you have this like mad extension of yourself, don't you, in some ways? Like, yes, yeah, you got extension of yourself and just this new sense of, uh, like, oh, well, love is the obvious word, mm. but this unconditional love, but, uh, yeah, that you know, and just care, duty of care, which is, it's, which is unconditional and completely natural. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, that has, um, yeah, that, that changed, uh, definitely uh, changed my life a lot. Nice one. What does the future hold for, uh, for Jimmy C? Uh, the, mm, yeah, the, 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 my, you know what my problem was, I was, ne- I was never much of a planner. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm, um, especially as an art and as an artist, I'm, I'm almost that. Yeah. I, 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 generally live uh, day by day and I and because I've learned not to worry when say if I'm not selling work and and I haven't you know nothing's there's been no income for a month I've learned not to stress about it because I, I know stuff you just stuff happens eventually and 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 that's part of being an artist as well is that having knowing how to sort of you know balance and manage those um those quiet times with the more productive times um but yeah yeah I, I don't know um in terms of myself because uh, in 10 years it almost did feel like a um a, a a crossroads point like it could have potentially been a new chapter for me which but then yeah it, it, things became complicated with that brexit happened the pandemic happened so suddenly you know it's 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 sort of hard to plan um it, it's been hard to make any sense of planning during during those last yeah. the last couple of years so so yeah we'll, we'll we'll see what happens um how was the pandemic for you i know that parts of it were like really tricky because you um split your time between different places um so yeah. that aspect of it yeah really yeah there, there were two there were two aspects to the, the pandemic and lockdown for me the, on the one hand lockdown for me luckily was actually a productive time and I think this was the great thing about the, this whole experience for people. They, it forced them, you know, it gave them this time and to do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. I, it was a, it was a controversial, difficult time because I, I think I'd said to someone else, it was sort of it was kind of make or break for a lot of people. Some people found themselves within that that solitude. Other people, it, it, they, you know, it was disastrous. And I think for mental health, et cetera, very, you know, very difficult and challenging and not access to family members, things like that. So there's, you know, there's, there's two sides to it. It, it, it. I really think it was like a make or break. Some people, yeah, um, struggled. Some people, you know, flourished in some way. I produced the whole um, London Cityscape series in, in, the locked, in my lockdown, I, so, uh, lockdown time. So it, it was good for me in the, in the studio. Um, yeah, my daughter is, is in Paris. So that was the difficult, it was, I was definitely I was se- I was separated from my daughter. Uh, it was very difficult. It, it was, I almost say, it was actually traumatic traveling to see her at the, at one point. There was a point where they weren't they were barely letting French nationals go back to Paris, and then there I was with customs, with a suitcase the day before my daughter's birthday, full of presents in the destiny in their hands, whether I was going to cross or not. And it was times like that were very uh, stressful. Yeah. And I and I and I did that a few times, and it's luckily. It's calmed down now. Travel is resuming. Yeah, there are still some protocols in place, but it's 
it's getting, you know, it's getting back. <laughs> yeah, it certainly makes us um, grateful for the little things, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. Well, that, that, like that, just being able to jump on a train or... It, it, that's what, that, yeah, it did, it did. Yeah. And that's why it was kind of necessary in the way because we were just, it, the humanity was just this machine just rolling on in its kind of, in a gluttonly kind of way as it just, you know, consumption, production, travel, freedom. We took everything all out for granted. So it, it did put a pause on all of that and made us kind of revalue some, you know, what we, like you said, what we were taking for granted. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, it was um, it was a really stressful time, but I feel like I've came out of it with a totally different um, perspective and approach from it. Anyway, anything else you want to add, Jimmy? Before you uh, before you go off, I know that you're busy. I know that you've got a lot going on at the minute, and you're um, heading back to Paris tomorrow. So, yeah, yeah. anything else you want to chuck uh, in there? Not really. Um, you know, I just to say it's great. It's good to talk to you, and I, I, I really I value our friendship and what you've been doing on the streets of London for the, the ten years that I've known you. I, I don't know actually when you started um, Alternative Street Art London's tour. What what year? Twenty ten. Twenty what? Twenty ten. So okay, yeah. so I almost got there at the inception of that, that, of that wonderful thing. And you know, yeah, and I just you know you you just carried a an, an authenticity with with the way you do the tours and stuff. And you are you know you do integrate it into the the real history and the real people of the area and and yeah and you, you're just doing um a great thing and and with the workshops that you do and stuff like that and and all i can say is that i yeah if i always recommend people to do your tour and, oh that's um, amazing and, jim i really i really appreciate and, that and it, it can continue and in saying that that for it continue the area has to remain you know culturally active and, and interesting so i hope that's going to be the case yeah i hope so too but yeah thanks so much for that jimmy it really means a lot i appreciate it and um yeah i really value um what you bring to the community and our friendship as well mate thanks so much for jumping in and uh taking the time to do this yeah our pleasure and i'll uh, i'll catch you soon thank you see you mate so that's it from Jimmy C. I hope you enjoyed listening. There's more info about Jimmy on his Instagram and website in the link in our description. Give us a comment on our Instagram post about this episode to tell us what you think. And don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a five stars on whatever platform you get your podcast from. This is the Alternative London Podcast with me, Gary Means. Big shout out to Stu Ballingall for music and editing and the Glass House for the studio space. We'll see you next time. Thank you.